verse 1. The Bible says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Him, talking about Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Let me tell you about the Pharisees for just a moment. The Pharisees were a very religious Jewish sect of people. And though they were religious, their hearts were far from the Lord. They went beyond the teachings of Scripture, holding to their own very rigorous standards of righteousness. They were a very legalistic group of people. And they would separate themselves from those who did not follow their rigid standards. They were an extremely judgmental group of people. And so these Pharisees are absolutely appalled that Jesus would associate with such people as tax collectors and sinners. And in response to this grumbling, Jesus tells them three parables or stories to illustrate to them the true heart of God and His grace toward repentant sinners. So I'm going to preach on the third of these parables, which is widely known as the parable of the prodigal son. So we pick up in verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and he, as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry, and he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat 
that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Well, in the story... We have a father and two sons. And it would be helpful for me here at the onset to acknowledge each of these three characters quickly. We have the younger son. How many younger siblings do we have in here? And this younger son portrays a rebellious, blatant sinner. I bet you wish you wouldn't have raised your hand now. Who eventually repents. And he is an image of the tax collectors and the sinners who Jesus is eating with. The ones who the Pharisees are so worked up about. And the second character is the loving Father who clearly represents God, our Heavenly Father. And the story is mainly about God the Father and His graciousness towards repentant sinners. The Father is the protagonist of the story. He's the hero of the text. And then we have the third character, the older brother. How many older siblings do we have in here? If you're the oldest, raise your hand. You're the religious. Come on, you're the tattletale. Come on, somebody. The older brother outwardly would conform to the father's standards. I mean, he was obedient. Couldn't believe the things the younger brother was doing. But in the end, we see that there was great sin that was being harbored in the brother's heart as well. Just like the Pharisees. And one of the points is that we've all sinned, younger siblings, older siblings alike, and we've all fall short of the glory of God, whether rebellious or religious. How many know we all need a Savior? We all need a Savior. So I'm going to break the parable down quickly into three different sections, and we'll begin by looking at the younger son's foolishness. Number one, the younger son's foolishness. So we have this father who is well off and he's a prudent man, he's a, he's a wise man, he's a businessman, he is successful. And he has two sons. And in the first part of this parable, his younger son makes several foolish decisions. How many have ever made some foolish decisions in your life? You're in good company. And these decisions bring much shame, just not just upon him, but his entire family, especially his father. And here's essentially what the son wants. This younger son, he wants his independence. His father being wealthy and successful, he's, he's a good father and the son has a very comfortable life. He lacks for nothing. But for whatever reason, he decides, I don't need my father anymore. He's not going to tell me what to do. Have you been there? He wants to live it up. He wants to experience life apart from dad's covering. So he thinks, I don't need my dad. And so he walks away thinking that he's about to experience what he would call the good life. And I can relate to this. When I graduated high school, I decided I want my independence. I have a good life at my parents' home, but I'm getting older. I don't need their rules. I don't need their protection. I don't need their help. 
After all, I graduated high school. I'm a man. Come on. Don't laugh. So I move out, and I'm going to live the dream. And it is a dream, I find out quickly, but not a good dream. In fact, it's a nightmare. I find myself broke, I have a job, I get paid $9 an hour, and that was a lot of money when I lived with mom and dad. But now that I'm on my own, I can barely afford my horrendous, ugly, run-down apartment in Winchester, Kentucky. I can't afford my, my rent. I'm lonely. I don't have anybody to talk to. I'm frustrated. And life, frankly, is awful. And so I discover quickly that my independence isn't all it's cracked up to be. Have you been there? Amen. You know, this is a great picture of every sinner before repentance. Romans 3, 10 and 11 says this. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. Now watch this. No one seeks for God. There's not one of us apart from God's grace that seeks Him. We all want this independence and we think we can do this on our own apart from God's grace. So the natural tendency of man apart from His grace is to think this way. To, to, to want your independence. To think, I don't need God. I don't need rules. I don't need His help. I don't need His protection. I can just do it on my own. Now, I'm not going to get off on a tangent here, but this is where our country is right now. And we're getting ready to reap what we've sown. We have held up our fists to God and said, we don't need you anymore. We've got this. We don't need your values we don't need your morals. We don't need your Bible. God, we're America. We got this. Friends, that's a dangerous place to be. God, have mercy upon the United States of America. And it's a dangerous state of mind for any of us to be in. If you're here today and you think, Man, I'll come to church, but I don't need this God stuff in my life. Friend, I hope you see through this text today how horrendous that way of life is, that way of thinking can be. It's bad enough now that the younger son wants to leave, but he does something here even more deplorable as we can consider his foolishness. Verse 12 says, here's what he says to his father. His father, he doesn't just say I'm leaving, but he says, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And the Bible says that the father divided his property between him, he and his brother. This is such a dishonor to his dad. The son wants his inheritance. And according to Jewish law, the oldest son would get two-thirds. The younger son would get one-third. Come on, older siblings. I'm an older child myself. You get two-thirds. You remember that. And so he would get one-third. This younger son would get one-third of the estate as the younger brother. But there's a major problem with this request. You know what it is? His dad's still alive. This is outrageous. The inheritance normally, we can relate to this, wasn't divided and given until the person dies. That makes sense, doesn't it? And in the ancient Middle Eastern culture, here is what the son is saying by making this request to his father. He's saying, you're as good as dead to me. 
I just want your stuff. I don't want you. Imagine your kids coming up to you and saying, Mom, Dad, I don't need you. Could you just, when, I, I know when you die, I'm going to get some stuff. Anyway, you could just go ahead and, and liquidate it and give it to me now. I need some money. And I'm moving off to New York. I'm going to, to, to wherever. And uh, see you later. It's been nice knowing you. This is outrageous, especially in this ancient Middle Eastern culture. Years ago, I was, I was driving. I had the, the kids in, in the back seat, my, my two sons, and one of them, who was very young at the time, asked me, just out of the blue, Dad, when you die, can I have your MacBook? Now, if you don't know what a MacBook is, it's, it's a laptop. And so I laugh, to which he responds, Dad, I'm serious. My laptop would only last five years or so, max. And I was in my early 30s at this time. I still sleep with one eye open. <laughs> my son had no clue what he was saying. The prodigal son knew exactly what he was saying. Dad, I want your stuff, but I don't need you. How heartbreaking. Amen. Isn't this the heart of so many people who we come in contact with? with all the time. Dad, I'll call you Dad. Father in Heaven, I want your stuff. I just don't want you. I, I want you to bless my marriage. I want you to keep my kids healthy. When there's tragedy, I'm coming to you like a cosmic bellhop. I'll ring the little bell and you'll show up at my door and give me what I want. And then I'll send you your way. Because I don't want you really messing with my life. God, I've got my life. I just need your stuff. So dishonoring, isn't it? Amen. This request is ridiculous and, and it's outrageous that his father gives in to this request. He gives him what he asks for. And the son walks away. I want you to get this picture. The father's heart must be broken at this point. He's loved his son. He's given him everything that he's ever needed. He's raised him protected him, taken care of him, blessed him his entire life. And this is how he repays him. He walks away and the father's heart is broken. And the son doesn't go to invest his share of the estate. He doesn't want to contribute to the family agricultural business, but instead he continues to make foolish decisions. And here's what he does. Verse 13, not many days later. Not many days later. The younger son gathered all that he had and he took a journey into the far country and there he squandered his property in reckless living. It's bad enough that he took the estate. Look what he says here. Not many days later. What has he done? He's liquidated his assets. He was given property, he was given all of this stuff, and he just, years and years and years, the father had acquired this, made great business decisions, and he acquires this wealth. The son gets it before he's supposed to get it, and he squanders it. Could you imagine? It's like when I had my youngest son here, a $5 bill, and he goes in and he plays the claw machine as you're walking in Walmart there. 
And you just see dollar after that. He's pretty good at it. But those things are just made to take your money. And so this this much worse here. The, the, the son leaves and he, and he liquidates all of his estate, his assets. And he gets a little bit of cash and he lives it up in wild living. He squanders every bit of it. The, the older brother lets us know a little later that, that he spent it even on prostitutes. This is not a good son. He's a foolish, foolish man. And so he spends all that he has and the Bible says a famine comes. Church, there's going to come a time when you do need him. There will come a time when America cries out to God in them. May He grant us repentance. You can shake your fist at Him, but you will need Him. I promise you. Verse 15 says, So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. So you think sin is so fun until you find yourself with pigs at the lowest of lows. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. No one gave him anything. He's alone at this point. See those friends out there on Friends Day? I know you have friends out there that some of you may hang with during the week and they, they say they're your buddy. But if you're living recklessly like this son, when the money's gone, they'll be gone. Because they don't want you. They want your stuff. And so he had a lot of friends. He had people when he was living it up and he could fund everybody's party. Man, he was the life of the party. Everybody loved him. Cell phone ringing off the hook. But then guess what? The money runs out and he finds himself alone. There's a famine. And so this, this young man who had it all is now living with pigs, tending to the pigs. Now, this is the lowest of lows. Some of you might think pigs are cute and be like, well, that wouldn't be so bad. The Pharisees who are listening to this, as Jesus is telling this parable, would be outright horrified because pigs were considered unclean animals to the Jews. And to take care of them, to tend to them in this manner, would be absolutely deplorable. So Jesus is making the point to the Pharisees that this he's painting the picture of this wicked, wicked, wicked man who is in the depths of sin. And in this, we see the, the cost of sin, don't we? The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Listen to me. Sin looks fun for a while. And it is fun for a while. I've been there. It's, it's fun for a season. But here's the thing. It bites a lot harder than it blesses. The pain is so much greater than the pleasure. Oh, how many times I've counseled men in my office, in families, that the, the sin that was in front of them looked so fun and it was, it was fun for a few minutes. It was fun for a short season. And now it's cost them everything. I'm with people every week, it's cost them everything. It's fun for a season. But it will destroy you. And it's destroyed this young man's life. Unconfessed sin will ruin you. It'll ruin you. And this is what he's finding. He's sitting alone 
hungry. And he's so at the bottom. He's looking at the pots that the pigs are eating. Which only the poorest of the poor would eat. And he says, I, I long just to be fed with what they're eating. That's the effect of sin. I know some of you think that Jesus just wants to take your fun away. Friend, it's not that. He loves you. As we sang earlier, He's a good, good Father. Our God is. And He knows the destruction of sin. He hates sin. He hates sin. It's like watching your child. Have you ever had your child as they maybe graduate and they, they go off and, and live this horrible life and you see them making bad decisions and you, your heart's just broken. God doesn't want that for us because He's a good Father and sin wrecks lives. But here's the great news. There's a turnaround because sometimes when you hit rock bottom, the only thing you can do is look up. And I love verse 17, the very first part. It just says, when He came to Himself, He said. When He came to Himself. See, when you're in the depths of sin, it's, it's easy not to be able to see your real self in the mirror. You, you see a version of you. You don't see the heartache. You don't see the pain. You don't see the destruction. You don't see the shame. You, you don't see those things because you're living it up. And you can't really see yourself. You can't see the hurt. You can't see the brokenness. But eventually, when you get to that lowest point, by God's grace, you will say, What have I done? Have you been there? What have I done? I've made a mess of my life. So there he is. He finds himself in the midst of the pigs. And he starts to understand the depths of his sin. He begins to realize the weight of his decisions and he finally understands that he cannot help himself. He says, I need my Father. Wow. What a great realization. And so he makes this decision to go home and he thinks this, I'm not worthy to be his son. He realizes the shame he's brought upon his Father, but just maybe I can go and be one of his hired servants. This would be the lowest person in his home. And this is a beautiful moment. He understands his helplessness. He understands his hopelessness apart from his father. And he realizes the severity of his sin and it's a life-changing moment. And isn't this what Jesus says as recorded in Matthew chapter 5 in the famous Sermon on the Mount. The first beatitude is this, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? It means to get to the point that this young man got to. Where you can see yourself and realize, maybe I'm not as good as I think I am. As a matter of fact, I can see my depravity. I cannot save myself. Apart from a Savior, I'm hopeless, I'm helpless. And I need my Heavenly Father. I need my Savior, Jesus Christ. And this is where the Son is at. He realizes I've messed up. I need my Father. I've sinned against God. I've sinned against my dad. And I want to go back home. If you're living in sin today, I hope this is your heart. That the Holy Spirit would draw and you say, Yes! I, I want to go back today. I'm tired of living this way. I need my Heavenly Father. And I need my Savior, Jesus Christ. 
So we've looked at the son's foolishness and now quickly I want to look at the as he moves to repentance I want to move on to the next part of the story. Secondly, I want to look at the father's forgiveness. The father's forgiveness. The son gets up and he begins to make his way home and he's rehearsing. Have you ever done this? Rehearse what you're going to say when you see, when you know you're in trouble. Here's what I'm going to say. And he's working it up in his, his mind. But I want you to think how he's perhaps walking he must be feeling the, the weight of his shame and his sin. And so he's walking maybe with his head down, slowly dreading that initial moment. Glad to be home, but man, my dad's going to lay into me. The community's going to mock me. They're going to, everybody knows everybody's business. Kind of like Richmond, right? Everybody knows. And they're all going to be shaking their head. Mm-mm. Mm, here he comes. Well, he wants more money. He's going to go get another third from his brother. He all, he, he's done wasted it. And so he's, he's, all this is perhaps going on in his mind. How will his father respond? What does he deserve? This is ancient Middle Eastern culture. This isn't the pansy way to, to, to raise your kids. And well, you know what? Time out, buddy. <laughs> no, that doesn't work. Right? This is rough. I mean, you, you, if you bring shame on your family, it is a serious offense. And he's dishonored his father and he's squandered his estate. He's defiled himself through extremely sinful living. He should be punished severely for this kind of behavior. Beaten. He should have been possibly even excommunicated. No, you can't come back. You made your bed, lie in it. But thank God we have a God who doesn't give us what we deserve. Amen? We serve an awesome God. And here's how the father responds. Verse 20. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off. This makes me think that, that, that the, the father saw him. Maybe slowly and he wasn't moving fast enough. Maybe his head down and the father sees him from a long way off. And he felt compassion. Wow. How does that fit with your theology that God is ready to strike you down? Oh friend, he's just wanting you to come to repentance. It will delight his heart to see you running to him. Walking to him. Moving towards him. And the Bible says he ran and he embraced him and he kissed him. Remember, this represents God. This represents God. Amen. The son's walking home shamefully, wondering what's going to, to, to happen. And the father looks out and he sees him. Here's what that tells me. He sees him from a long way off. The father's looking for him. He's waiting for him. He's pursuing him. It's not out of sight, out of mind. The father is longing Waiting to see somebody coming down that road from a distance. Every day, getting up, maybe not going to bed at night. Or perhaps letting somebody else take watch so he can get a couple hours of shut-eye. He doesn't care about the business right now. He's not attending to those matters. He's looking for the sun. And he comes. He sees from the distance, he sees, perhaps, this is my son. And he gets a little closer and he says, 
that's Him. That's Him. And He's so amazing, so loving. He feels so much compassion. And He so longs for the, this relationship to be restored with His Son that He's like, I can't wait. And He runs to Him. Now, that may not be anything to you because we live in a culture where we all run. Well, a lot of us run. Okay, a lot of you run. I don't want to put myself in that. I hate running, but I do the elliptical. Here's the thing. This is significant as he's telling the story to the Pharisees. Okay? He, he, he's, he's telling this to people who would be appalled by this. Because in Middle Eastern culture, the, the, the patriarch of the family would never, ever run. It's un, considered undignified. And this is a culture where everything is about honor, doing things that are honorable, and staying away from things that are shameful. Think about this. The father would have been wearing a long robe. What would he have to do to run? He'd have to hike it up. Okay? He'd have to hike it up. Nobody wants to see that. And he begins to pursue. This would have been so disgraceful. But listen to this. The father was so willing to bear humiliation before others in running to his son. And this paints a picture of God's love for the repentant sinner. Isn't this what Jesus did? While we were the yet sinners? Didn't He come down here to us? Didn't He pursue us? Didn't He bear humiliation and shame? He was willing to go all the way to the cross for us because He loves us that much. That's an awesome God. That's an awesome God. And he gets to him and, you know, maybe he thought, I don't, I don't know what the son thought. Oh my gosh, here he comes. Maybe he's looking for the belt in his hand or the, or the rod. He's going to beat me. He's been waiting for this. And the son has all this ready to say. And the father embraces him and he kisses him. You're home. You're home. You're home. That's a loving God. And this is how God receives repentant sinners. Verse 21, And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer to be worthy to be called your son. But the father said to him, The father said to his servants, Excuse me, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Instead of shaming his son, the father embraces him, throws him a party, gives him the best robe, he gives him a ring, gives him shoes. What are these things? These are... See, such servants don't get these things. These are things that, that are indicative of being a son. These are signs that the son has been fully reinstated to the family. He did not have to earn these things. He didn't say, well, you can start as a hired servant and then move your way up. That's a work-based salvation. No, he said, you've come to me. You have repented. And instead of giving him a beating, instead of starting him at the bottom, instead of shaming him, after all the heartache, all the pain, and all the shame that he's brought upon the family, what does the Father give him? It can be summed up in one word. You ready? Grace. Grace. 
He gave Him grace. And we've all sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. So how does God respond to us when we repent with much grace? And there's just very quickly, I want to look at one more character. This is the older brother. I want to look specifically at the older brother's fury. We've looked at the younger brother's foolishness, the father's forgiveness. I want to look at the older brother's fury. So the older brother, who's always done what he's supposed to do, he's the good boy. He's out working like he's supposed to do. So he has no clue what's going on. And he's walking back and he hears the music. And he hears the laughter. And he hears the clapping. And he smells the food. And he asks one of his servants, What is going on? What's happening? One of his servants says, Well, it's your brother. You haven't heard? He's returned. He's returned. He's repented. And your father is throwing him an amazing party. He spared no expense. And the servant must have expected the, the brother to respond in joy, but he doesn't. How does he respond? He's angry. He's like the religious folk. Well, it's not going to last. Come on. Amen. Religious people can be hateful. Amen. And so he responds. He's jealous. He's, he's furious. And he refuses to go in and celebrate. That, he says, as the father comes out and tries to compel him to come in, Hello, I'm the good boy. I'm the good boy. You realize that you're old, you're getting seen now. Listen, you must have missed it. This party is supposed to be for me. Because you've never even killed the smallest animal for me. But you have... Given the fattened calf, that would feed about 200 people. And you've invited the village over to celebrate the one who was out living with prostitutes, who liquidated his estate, has caused you shame. Dad, what's up with that? You, you must, something must have happened because this can't be right. And here's his father's response, verse 31. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me. And all that's mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Now remember, the older brother represents the Pharisees. The older brother's outwardly obedient. He hasn't caused his father much trouble, much disgrace like the younger brother. But we see here he's a sinner in need of repentance as well. He's self-righteous. You've met some self-righteous people who put themselves up here and everybody else is down here. The older son is prideful. How arrogant not to go in. This was actually a shameful decision not to go into a party that your father was throwing. Shameful. This illustrates so clearly what the Pharisees are doing at this time as Jesus is telling the story. He's eating Jesus. Eating, receiving the people that they despise and say, unclean, unclean. Jesus is eating with them and receiving them. The sinners and the tax collectors. And while they're judging them, they're blind to their own spiritual depravity. So He gives them this parable to show them that God loves and offers grace to even the most wretched of sinners. He's saying, Pharisees, you've missed it. If you think God wouldn't be glorified in this, in me receiving sinners... 
He's showing them that their self-righteousness isn't good enough. So very quickly, let me ask you this. I'd invite you to stand as a matter of fact. Do you see yourself somewhere in this story today? Do you see yourself in this story? Maybe you, there are some people in here that identify with the younger son. Maybe you reluctantly came to church today because it's Friends Day and you wanted to be a friend to somebody and you're like, they ask me every week, I'm going to get this over with. Don't say amen. Maybe you're living in sin right now. And maybe you walked in with kind of your head down like that younger son. And you would just have shame. You go, man, I can't be around these people. I can't walk into a church. It's going to burn down. Have you ever heard anybody say that? I've got great news for you today. Obvious point, the building is still standing. But not only did the building not burn down, God is ready. He's running to you. He's not standing by with a lightning bolt on, you know, just waiting for you to, to mess up one more time. He's grateful you're here today. He's ecstatic. And if you'll repent today, He'll receive you just like the Father received the Son in this parable. Today, because of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you can experience what it means to be a son or a daughter of God. That's amazing. That's amazing. Maybe you came in here today feeling like, you know, hey, maybe God would let me be a hired servant. Maybe I can work my way up. No. You could never do that. He sent His Son to you. And He'll make you a son or a daughter today. There's no greater feeling than to receive grace in this magnitude. Or maybe today you're like the older brother. Maybe you came in thinking, oh, I don't need all this. I'm a good person. I've never done X, Y, and Z. Okay. But we've all sinned. And we all fall short of the glory of God. And we all need a Savior. Maybe you're a Christian today. But you backslidden and you know it. And you feel the Holy Spirit tugging at your heart. Tugging at your heart. And you know it's time to come home. Listen, don't leave this place the same way you came in. If that's you today.